How many times have the students come forward to the administration asking for these, I'm gonna say simple changes because it just takes a PR person to send an email out? So are they only willing to respond to things that they put together? Really the reason we decided to have a forum was because there was just, we released this into the void and the void does not scream back. We were like, well, I guess we're having a forum then. But they won't listen to what we have to say. They're listening to what they believe is best and that we are overreacting. Where is our money going? Like, that's my number one question. I am begging for a kind of spreadsheet and that's what I want the administration here for. That's something that's always bothered me a little bit. We are a small campus, um, but we do have blue lights and I think that they should work. The administration shows time and time again such disregard for the student body. And then as soon as we graduate, they want money from us. It's, it's not right. And they can't expect us and frankly be upset even when we don't give money because we have no reason to give money. If that's what we come out of Washington College with, then this school doesn't have a future. Can someone in the administration please explain to me how this is not a prime example of the lack of transparency mentioned in this podcast? Hey there, ladies, gentlemen, my non-binary friends, and Washington College community. This is Evan Gaines here representing the Transparency Trap team. And I wanted to begin this student forum recap by saying thank you for listening and joining in on the campus dialogue. The recording you're about to hear is from January 29th, 2021, the Friday evening before Washington College started the spring semester. The goal of holding this forum was trying to get students, faculty, and the administration of Washington College to have an open and productive conversation of the issues of transparency addressed in the Transparency Trap podcast. Sadly, although they're informed ahead of time, no administration representatives decided to attend. But luckily, we had 40 students who had a lot to offer on the issues highlighted in our podcast. The Zoom recording you're about to hear has only been edited to clean up audio quality and take out cumbersome buts and ums in people's speech. You may notice the podcast is long, and that's because the people that showed up had a lot to say and a lot of good, possible, achievable solutions for Washington College. To keep things in context, the Transparency Trap team decided to leave everything in. But because we left everything in, there's a lot to get to in this discussion. So to help people navigate, because we know not everyone has all the time in the world to listen to this whole conversation, there are tape marks in our bio for when different and specific topics you may care about are mentioned. This is so even if you don't have all the time in the world, you can still engage with the topics you care about that are happening on the Washington College campus. On behalf of the Transparency Trap team, Victoria, Megan, Grace, Leah, Nicole, and myself, thank you, Washington College, for all the love, support, and engagement people have shown since we first released our podcast. And with that, the goal of this forum was to make sure these issues are heard by the administration and to offer legitimate action steps which can be taken by the administration to show they want to work with the whole community. So right now in the tape, uh, back on Friday, January 29th, I had just explained how the conversation, the forum was gonna work. 
And the way it worked was that Nicole and I took the roles of guiding the conversation, while Grace and Leah were being the commanders of communication, keeping an eye for raised hands and on the chat. So without further ado, here's the Transparency Trap student discussion. So yeah, let's be productive. And I think Nicole's going to come in and give us the rundown of what we're doing tonight. Sure. So I'm going to give a little uh, debrief of what our podcast was and what we intended for it to do. So this project started, um, like we said, as a class project, and we had to pick a topic to investigate. And we, we came up with all these really large topics, you know, from COVID on campus to um, hate crimes on campus to just simple things slipping through. And we realized that throughout all of these situations, it was a lack of kind of communication and um, like our title, transparency. And we wanted to kind of investigate how these issues accumulate and why there is such um, miscommunication going on on campus. And so we spoke to a lot of people. We got a lot of hours of tape. And I mean, there's so much positive in the tape um, that we got people saying. And then there are also a lot of issues that we knew we might find and we wanted to bring light to and just let people talk um, and kind of give them a voice to air their grievances. So like we said, we kind of just want to open it up to see, you know, general thoughts on it. Um, Hopefully you guys listened. And if you have any specific questions or disagreements or agreements, comments, um, something that resonated with you or maybe something that didn't make sense. So if you have any questions, um, that's kind of what we want to open it up to, but it can also just be comments and expressions of your own volition. Vent if you need. This is a safe space and also an open floor. So, and we'll fill in, you know, other details, which we thought were important that didn't get into it a little bit later, but yeah, for right now, the floor is anyone's. So I think Jonah, I saw your hand. Go for it. Uh, hi. Okay. So the first thing that I noticed was um, th- one of the dining hall staff members got fired. And and I feel like, you know, since it was Miss V, I feel like the greater campus community should have known about that. And that made me upset to find out over a podcast about transparency um, when I feel like since she was such a good impact on me, especially on Black students, in my opinion, um, she always made us feel welcome. She always um, said that, she, you know, she wanted to start a choir and things like that. So to lose her and to just find this out, I probably wouldn't have known that she left until we got back to campus um, in the fall. Um, if we got back to campus in the fall, and then I'd still be wondering um, what happened. So that that was like the first thing that I noticed that made me upset. And I just wish that they let the greater campus community know in like an email that like she's leaving. Yeah, it's definitely disappointing to see such a figure on the Washington College campus go without, you know, anyone saying anything. I see how, like, inside the institution, like, people are employees and they come and go. So I understand why they wouldn't it, it absolutely alert everyone. But if it also speaks to the larger issue that communities built by, you know, those people that are steadfast in your everyday and all these things. And because Washington College is in a really tight place because of some tight decisions, these people that we care about and see every day get cut. 
Yeah, and I definitely think it's the faculty members and the staff that I think make the school what it is, you know, and that's why we we tried to interview like professors and things because especially during COVID with the online classes, like the professors and the staff and the people who like we see day in day out are who kind of make up the college. So we tried. Um, I definitely think I see Annalie in the comments. Um, yeah, the faculty members who are leaving. And it's the same thing with the staff. You know, people have SE advisors who are now gone. Um, so just, we definitely see that recurring issue. Before we move on to our next person with a statement or a question, just to talk on that. I mean, especially with, you know, staff and, you know, our faculty, when we have this tight community among them and we aren't seeing the same care for, you know, that community from our administration and our higher ups, it can feel disheartening. Like it's kind of the good thing we have going is getting torn apart because other decisions around us, I mean, kind of taken out the backbone of the community. But uh, Kayla Mertens, I hope I got that right. Uh, yes, you did. Thank you. Um, so I was just wondering what has, the administrative response been to um the podcast i i apologize if this has been sent out in an email already i am terrible about reading mine oh well uh the funny thing is it actually hasn't been set out in any emails um one of the more disappointing things uh the follow-up of the uh, podcast is that you know a lot of wonderful outpourings from students and teachers um you know a lot of great marks of support and people that feel like they really identified with the podcast but you know in a podcast about communication transparency you think the first thing uh administration who's being criticized or critiqued on how they carry themselves you think the first thing they would do is you know respond or say something or start another conversation but that's kind of a reason why we're here uh, we kind of felt like, you know, we bring up this issue and then there's absolutely radio silence on their end. Uh, it's disheartening and we're hoping that more administrators could be here. I saw Candace Wanamaker in the waiting room before. I know there is a couple of people that work around staff, but none of the higher ups I reached out to, President Powell, Deans, uh, Steve Golding, the head of the board, um, they all couldn't make it for one reason or another. But yeah, that's kind of the problem. That's why we're here having this discussion because they won't want to have it with us. But we can still get done, things done with it, hopefully. Um, I hope that answered some of your question. Kind of went on a little scroll there, but. Yes, that did. Thank you. Annalie, you can go ahead. Okay. So I'm going to talk a bit about um lack of administrative response just like evan was speaking to but specifically in regard to title nine i know unfortunately you guys had tons and tons and tons of stuff to talk about in your podcast and so each of those topics could have had a podcast of its own because of all the complexity of ignorance from the school uh that has historically happened within that that topic so I'm here just to talk a bit about um, Title IX, and I see some of my peer smart friends in here, so this will be like, um, I'm like a broken record with some of this stuff, but it's important. So bear with me for a hot second, because this is a lot. Um, Did everything just freeze? 
Okay. <laughs> let's give, let's give it a second until Annalie comes back. Uh, but Delightfully timed. <laughs> okay, it's going to be a lot, but the love of Zoom, am I right? Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly, Pat. Uh, but not a broken record, Annalie, if you can hear us. These are important things that need to be said, but... Until she rejoins us, Annalie, just turn on your mic when you regain connection and holler at us. But is there anyone else that has anything for right now to fill a little bit of the air while the Wi-Fi works its own shit out? Beth, you had a hand raised? Yes. So I was really hoping that, um, hold on, sorry, I want to pull up my document real quick. Um, I was really hoping that Candace was going to be on this, like, really bad, but I guess she was, like, too busy cooking dinner or something. But um, anyways, so over the summer, I'm sure you guys all read the email that the school sent out about all the changes that were done, specifically with, like, public safety and the Title IX board and stuff. And that's kind of, like, what I wanted to touch on and make sure that everybody's aware of this issue. So over the summer, I was under the impression, and I'm sure some of you guys were also in the same boat on this one because um, I was a little confused by this, but um, the tone of that email was, I thought that like Candace Wanamaker was removed from the school. I, like I was under the impression she did not work for this institution anymore. And um, after further investigation, because I was just curious, like I'm a member of Peer Smart, we have to know who our resources are as far as who works for Title IX, Honor Board, Public Safety, all that, just to like be more well-rounded and like know who to call in an emergency situation. I found out she still works for the Honor Board. Like she still works for the school completely. And that is an extremely big issue to me because under the new changes to Title IX in August 2020, thank you to the uh, Department of Education on this one, the Honor Board handles anything except rape. So that includes sexual assault, sexual harassment, domestic violence, and stalking cases. And that is extremely problematic to me because of how many cases, like through all of the accounts that were made on social media about her mishandling these sexual misconduct cases. Like, I think that is extremely problematic because of her incapabilities. Like, she literally has the same exact job that she had over before the summer. Like, she, it's just another title change. You know what I'm saying? Like, she has the same exact job which I think is like disgusting that they didn't even mention that in the email. Like I was under the impression she did not work for this school and she has the same exact job that she did. And um, well, I thought like there'd be some administration people on this call, but I guess not. But I had a couple of questions and I'll just uh, say that real quick. Um, one of my questions was, can someone in the administration please explain to me how this is not a prime example of the lack of transparency mentioned in this podcast? Um, and does this administration plan to hold Candace Wanamaker accountable for all of the students' claims that have been made about her before graduation May 2021? And that is all. Thank you, Bess. And, you know, those are on record and these conversations won't be stopping. So those will get passed through to someone. Yeah, definitely insularity inside the administration and, you know, not wanting change, whether for whatever reasons it is, is a problem with a stale culture around especially things like sexual assault you say we're a tight community and community you know helps each other out but sometimes it silences a lot of people too especially when you have figures like that gatekeeping um and Anna Lee, is your wi-fi better i hope so we can we could see 
that always happens to me, which is awesome. Um, okay. So speaking, I'm glad Bess got that in because I'm going to uh, elaborate on some of the things Bess um, was mentioning. Um, just in general, like kind of starting from the beginning, um, our school, a lot of people attend our school and we pride ourselves on this really close-knit, warm environment and community that we have. And that is a great asset. It's one of the best assets at this college among students and among professors. Um, however, this also gives a false sense of safety sometimes. And it also causes um, a lot of isolation for people who feel victimized by the greater community. So me loving this warm, safe whack, I always assumed that we were really distinct from other college campuses because we were really collective um, and we, we were really safe. I felt this campus was a safe space. So in my freshman year, I began to be surprised when I kept seeing in the Elm, in the public safety section, every single issue in the public safety section, there were reports, sexual assault, sexual assault, sexual assault, sexual assault, to the point in which I thought they were reusing public safety reports. I was like, there are so many, the school's not saying anything. Um, around this time, this is when that really big petition came out that was signed by students, faculty, professors asking for change. Me never having had an encounter with Title IX, I'm like, great, this is great. Our school's being productive. Um, it was at that time that I began to actually have my own Title IX incident. Um, submitted a care report, me not trusting the um, board to deal with it. I launched my own investigation for over a month. I recorded um, instances with the person I was accusing um, in terms of their daily schedule, my daily schedule, um, interactions we had together, and sent this huge, huge document to the Title IX department that um, I had to have my coaches sign off of to get some validity. That's how strongly I felt um, that I would be ignored based on rumors I had heard. Um, and the fact that I had to do that and I had to seek out help from my coaches um, shows that somebody in, who's not in a group like myself, I'm on the women's soccer team, would feel even more isolated kind of approaching the Title IX board with um, an incident. But I assume since I have this group behind me, I would be more heard. However, after this huge investigation, my only response from the coordinator at the time, who was Candace, was to meet with the person I was accusing, was to sit down. Um, I heard that she had told the person I was accusing my identity, um, the things that I had uh, accused them of, of course, um, reading off the document that I sent in and released my identity. And her suggestion was that I sit down with him and have a discussion. I um, was not happy with this response. I felt very uncomfortable. And so I asked um, Sarah Tanzis, who at the time was the head of PeerSmart, I asked her if this is an acceptable response, if this is allowed by the Title IX board. And she said, absolutely not, never. We would never place you in a situation in which you have to confront the person you're accusing. It's not allowed. So now I know this was wrong. So I was very excited when this email came out listing all these changes in faculty, and it seemed we had new Title IX coordinators. So I resubmit this report. 
And the person who responds to it is Candace. Um, and this is what Bess was referring to. Candace responds to the report um, indicating that we're going to investigate it together. And it's at that point that I realize her working for Honor Board, now all of the instances of sexual misconduct that are not distinctly rape on campus will go through the honor board as a school violation and be dealt with by the same person who I didn't want dealing with my other case. Um, so while this is going on, while I'm dealing with this, this is when the Anon account comes out. The Anon account, to a certain degree, gave me comfort that other people were in the same kind of isolated position and they felt trapped and their voices weren't heard. But this is horrifying. The fact that students had to go and create their own means of elevating their voice. These are people who have reported their cases and have all been ignored, have been ignored, have been told no, have transferred. And this is immensely concerning. At that time, student survey goes around asking for um, student and faculty responses to Title IX at a school. The responses to that survey were overwhelmingly negative about Candace Wan Wanamaker and the way she ran the Title IX board. However, despite all these endeavors, Title IX issues have not been addressed by the school. And Pierce Smart, trying to keep up with all these, these things that are coming out, we one day, we send an email, one of our members sends an email to the Title IX coordinator only to receive a response that the coordinator has changed and nobody had told us. Us being the group on campus who's supposed to guide students in terms of Title IX, this we found very concerning. So that's a really, really long spiel walking through some of the problems with Title IX, but in conclusion, the problem is there is a lack of acknowledgement at all by the college that sexual misconduct and assault occurs on our campus. Um, the student concerns are not being addressed. Students are unaware of who is dealing with their cases, how to submit cases. The person who we have not wanted to deal with our cases is still working on them um, without our knowledge or consent. Um, students are consistently having negative, negative experience with the Title IX and are isolate, and were completely isolated and didn't realize other people were going through this until that account came out. Students are told that their professors, who are SCE advisors, are going to be fired because our school is trying to save money, but the person who we have been calling to be removed from the school for the way that she has handled our Title IX cases is still working here. And our professors, like you said in your podcast, are being targeted to be laid off. So students don't want to be doing this at the end of the day. You guys did this brilliant podcast. You guys did all this investigation. We have peer smart people working tirelessly to address Title IX violations. People in BSU are working their butts off to get some um, representation and leadership positions for minority students at our school and, and trying to get. Um, all the systemic discrimination addressed by our administration. We don't want to be spending our time doing this. We have theses to write. We have sports to play. We have clubs to organize. We have internships to do. And yet we feel like we don't have a choice because we are trying to defend ourselves and our safety and the fact that as students, we have to take our safety into our own hands at a collegiate institution is problematic and concerning. 
So my question to the school from all of this is that students do not feel safe, not only in terms of sexual assault, not only is it happening on our campus, but when it does, we do not feel that you are listening to our voices first. We are being ignored on an individual level and on a collective level. So my question, especially considering all the students who have transferred from the school, who have not returned to the school because of sexual assault, why should we attend this institution if we do not feel safe here? Because what, what, what is our college experience if we can't even feel that the school cares about our safety? That's my question to the school. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> Sorry, that was a lot, you guys. No, don't, don't apologize for anything you said in there. That was snaps, snaps. Um, yeah, before we move on to, I think we have a couple come in. Jonah wants to talk again, then Kayla. Just to speak to that, uh, one thing that didn't get into the podcast that we had tape of is like kind of very representative of the administration not understanding the scale of the problem, not being able to relate, relate to it, not having the proper you know representation inside our higher ups to relate to problems like sexual assault or you know. So in our tape, there's a President Powell, um, and there's a portion later in that tape where uh, our reporter Victoria brought up, you know, catcalls on Wash Ave and walking up and down there and not feeling ab- as safe. And, you know, talking about how girls get catcalled every day on that street. And President Powell said, well, I walk down Wash Ave all the time. I don't, I, it seems not a problem there. I can actually, I can find you the, it, it's, the gist is that, you know, I don't have a problem walking down it, you know. So struggle to the struggle to cut that or not during the editing and review process was agonizing. I was like, Oh my God, it's so, I want to keep it in there, but yeah, it was very, it was ridiculous to hear. I was sitting in the corner like, and the, 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 the fact that, you know, we can be so out of touch with the community that's saying things are happening. It, it's a mark. I mean, like I, this is me speaking from my person. I think it's a mark of like not understanding your community or not knowing the realities of, you know, what's right there or not just listening, just listening period. Um, so, okay. On to Kayla. Yeah. I'm just sort of going off what Annalise said. I can't help but wonder why the college is so hesitant to, t- to even address anything involving Candace Wanamaker, um, considering they're willing to fire active faculty members who the students genuinely um, care about and um, hold dear, frankly. Um, so it does make me wonder what is their motivation? And, you know, like, why are they so insistent on keeping this particular person? And it seems like willful, like, lack of transparent, lack of transparency. Whether it was intentional or not, they led us to believe that Candace Wanamaker was no longer working at this campus because her change in position was not listed after several calls for her being removed from her uh, position and from the college entirely. So... That would just generally be my question to the administration. Why Candace Wanamaker? What is specific about her? 
So, and also I think that's something that this is maybe getting at is um, when we were interviewing people and, you know, trying to find out more about um, our administration and even our board of governors um, within the administration, there's been so much turnover. I feel as though we can't get a strong leadership team. And I think that the email that just came out about the search for the new president, I am, I mean, Maybe I'm wrongfully hopeful, but someone, you know, we need to diversify our board of governors and our administration. And I mean, it seems like the time to be doing it. Um, I do wish that some administration came to this meeting to hear some of our ideas, because in the end, we would like to propose some, you know, maybe attainable changes that could happen. Um, and I think that, you know, with Candace and even... Um, I saw in the chat, thank you for sending this, that there's been a change. Um, you know, when we are constantly changing who's leading us, it is difficult to kind of feel like um, we know where to go and we know where to send our concerns. So I think that that is something that we should look forward to. Uh, just jumping off that idea, when we're talking about diversifying leadership, um, a lot of the people we didn't particularly grind into this that much, but the people making the decisions about personnel, all these things is the board of governors at the school. They make financial decisions. They make sure enrollments at the place, they, they, they're head of keeping track of admissions. And from my understanding, there are two, there's the whole board, but there's two types of people on the board. There are givers, the people that have the money and they're just donating to the school. They show up to the meeting. They give everyone to be on board. You need to give money. But the ones which, you know, are there to give money, they give gratuitous amounts, more than that. And then there are the doers. They're the people that make the plans. They, uh, you know, design certain initiatives and all that stuff. Obviously, the school needs givers because I think one thing we didn't or we did touch on it is the financial hurt that the school is in. And I want to elaborate on, um, we can diversify the doers. We can get people in that represent our ideas and our opinions that are making the decisions. You know, keep your people that are going to give you your, your pocket money. I get it. Okay, this is a business and a terribly run one. Small liberal arts colleges have been raising up prices for like 20 years and it's not working out. But still, like, keep your people that get money and give us actual people that can make real change that are on the board that understand what people want inside this community. And it's keeping the community intact, not, you know, you take out the bad things and keep the good ones, not get rid of our best teachers and keep the people that are keeping people silent. All right, uh, and then for questions and comments, we have Jonah and then after we have Pat. Um, so hi. All right. So now I'm gonna go on a little rant because a few <laughs> points were made up and I just wanted to um speak um what was going on in my head. So first of all, for those of you who don't know what Peer Smart is, um, I kind of wanted to like elaborate on that. So where, um, how do I best explain this? Like we're an advocacy group of, made up of students um, that you can contact through like the Peer Smart phone. I believe it's still called the Sarah phone. Annalie, correct me if I'm wrong. 
Yep. Okay. So it's called the Seraphone and you get to contact us if you're going through um, that kind of situation, like a sexual assault situation. And we're here to guide you to resources, um, hopefully make you more comfortable and things like that. Um, we're trying to find best ways to introduce ourselves to the campus and things like that. But um, and we're still, you know, advocating to administration about how to make the students um, more comfortable. That's like a little spiel of what's going on. Um, some of us are currently in the call. Um, so just like wave your hand or just um, do a, like a little emoji or whatever, but some of us are here. And yeah, so that's number one. Number two, when it comes to transparency with the faculty, um, my thing is, I believe that the the administration and faculty need to understand that there are different perspectives. There is a different perspective between us and there's a different perspective between them. And this perspective really came into play when we went through um, spring 2020 and they and we were going through that call and they were talking about grades and they were talking about how easy the semester was and they thought it was like, you know, the best semester ever and all this. And they felt like they handled it so well. But then we have students who don't agree with that. And we've been through multiple conversations in which, in which we've had faculty and senior administration be like, well, I haven't seen what you're seeing. But the gag is you don't live on campus like we do. You don't, you're not walking around all the time like we do. You guys are in your offices doing meetings with, with the boards of visiting, visitors and governors. And you guys need to understand that the student experience is much different than the administrative faculty experience. Also, when they're hiring people, they're not hiring people that look like me. And by look like me, I'm, I'm black. <laughs> I'm not seeing a lot of black people be hired. Um, so I, I have a little bit of trust issue there. Then my last thing is um, money. Where is our money going? Like that's my number one question. I am begging for some kind, kind of spreadsheet and that's what I want the administration here for. I want some kind of spreadsheet of where exactly my money is going because there should be no reason y'all are broke with $60,000 coming out of each and every student here. Um, yeah, that's all that I wanted to say. Okay, bye. Great points. Thank you, Jonah. Um, just a little bit on uh, the money aspect of things. Um, so teachers, when faculty cuts were happening, they repealed to uh, provosts and uh, board of governors to get a look at the budget because they said we're cutting things wherever we can. We're you know we've done the numbers and we're cutting things as you know to help us survive. But they wouldn't allow them to look at the book. So that's a piece on that. But also with the sixty thousand dollars, that number isn't exactly because ninety five percent of students at Washington College are getting. Uh, uh, scholarship money, which is a great thing the school does. And it can be a way to diversify the student population more than we give it, but like they're not always getting their own whole. And that's kind of the thing with the way the trend that liberal arts colleges through the past 20 years, tuition's gone up to fund these small communities and they give lots of scholarships. So the break even isn't exactly as much as they're getting for it, but every student really counts for the administration. I don't think I, no, no, Pat, you say what you said in the chat. You've been waiting for a while, if you'd still like to speak. I mean, I guess, I mean, I could just read what I wrote, but I'll just summarize. I, I'm, I'm speaking here from like a place of ignorance. I don't really know what has been accomplished these past five months. And I'm definitely not implying that work hasn't been done and strides haven't been made, but it seems fast 
that they're announced they announced that change yesterday or the day before and that the new focus now of this current president is to look for the next one do the others here know more about the work that has been done in the past 5 months to give some context as to why the board feels they are ready to move on because it it just doesn't feel like enough time to accomplish all the things that we were promised and even to lay the groundwork like i it just it feels so soon um pat could you just for for some clarity what uh things you we were promised just um i mean it's hard to it, it just seems so like so long ago but we we were talking about real good structural change not just the budget and the deficit but promises on the action items that were laid out in the spring particularly was something that we were promised this new president was going to look for get us in a stable place address the concerns that were brought up by students last sem- uh last spring almost a, almost a year ago now so um i don't remember all the specifics that what we had asked for but i don't really remember seeing too much follow up on anything in the past 5 months and again it could just be i'm bad at looking at my email or anything else so i'm more asking around for the peers of what have you guys seen what have you guys heard those of who have paid more attention than i have than saying these things haven't gotten done um anyone uh that wants to speak on this right now and not to put anyone on the spot but uh elizabeth lily student uh sga president put in the chat earlier that the students are working alongside with the board to select the new president or administration changes um don't speak if you don't have anything to say but do you know anything that could speak to what Pat's talking about like i mean like why the change now and yeah um i don't have all of the answers to this by any means especially when it comes to um financials to be completely honest a lot of um the nuances of those things go over my head there was an email sent out earlier in the fall semester that sort of outlined exactly what our financial situation is um that might give a little bit more clarity as to what steps have been taken in terms of other things that we have demanded back in the spring particularly from the letter of demands different um movement has been made on each of those such as the security cameras on Washington Avenue the renovations to the Minta Martin space um other long-term things uh different discussions are being had about a chief diversity officer obviously with the current financial um insecurity i guess i would call it we are not moving forward exactly on the hiring process of it but in terms of setting up that position so that it can be filled once we once we are more um fiscally solvent also diversity trainings for different individuals i'm trying to touch on all of them but there have been a lot of there has been a lot of progress on the letter of demands and different things um related to diversity equity and inclusion again in terms of the actual financial status of things and that really the extent of my knowledge is just what was included in that email I'll see if I can find that email so that I can drop the subject line in the chat so that people can look it up in their inboxes so that you can get a little bit more information but that's kind of the extent of my knowledge uh thank you elizabeth that was you said i didn't know a lot and then you go laying down everything we really appreciate that um I mean if we'd like to open the conversation up to maybe some solutions or steps that we'd like taken I know we touched on I mean having spaces for groups on campus um Evan can talk about like the Halal House um how BSU is kind of just given Minta Martin's basement they don't really have 
a space on campus. Um, maybe talking about what we want to see. Um, I'm not sure if the blue lights are working anymore on campus. That's something that's always bothered me a little bit. We are a small campus, um, but we do have blue lights and I think that they should work. So if we'd like to open up the floor to possible solutions or if Evan wants to speak on some of the ones that we cooked up, um, that would be great. Um, let's take a couple hands before we go on to anything that we offer, but um, so they're continuing it through with the Minta Martin space. I thought that was, I, hope, I was hoping that was one thing they wouldn't follow through with so we could actually get something better, but I mean, whatever. Basements it is. Um, uh, Kayla. Yeah, I just have a question. So this is not a question that I don't think anyone here can actually answer, but I'm hoping this will eventually reach the administration. Um, so are they only willing to respond to things that they put together? For example, they've made responses to the town hall, town hall that they put together, but from what you said earlier, they did not respond to the podcast. Um, from what I recall saying in, er, in my inbox or lack thereof, I suppose, um, they did not respond to the report that came out this past summer. Uh, about Title IX. So I just generally am wondering, are they, do they have any attention of addressing anything that they do not personally put forward? So something that we found in our research, we talked to um, Dr. Rydell, who was involved in the professor unions, and um, she kind of spoke on this a little bit, how they're not interested in speaking on those things. So it does kind of seem like a thread of some, you know, stuff that maybe they don't put together. They don't want to, you know, advertise it or send out an email about this. Um, so that is an example. I know that the Elm does great work. So at least we have the Elm. They wrote on the, on the professor unions, but that does seem to be the trend. No clue where those questions that were written down at the end of the town hall are, Justin. No clue. But I do have a full recording of that town hall if anyone wants it, because that exists. Um, uh, Jonah, your hand's been up. And if we, I don't see a lot of people. So if your hand's up and we haven't spotted you, just yell at us in the chat. But Jonah. Okay. So I um, actually have to go to another meeting. So this is perfect timing. Um, but basically, um, solutions that I want to see is just um, more administrative participation beyond Sarah Fireherm. Um, Sarah Fireherm cannot be their spokesperson. Um, she cannot be the only one showing up to meetings or at least trying to. Another um, solution that I want to see is Candace Wanamaker has to go. Like, I, I'm sorry, but I just don't see any other way around it. We have students who are consistently bringing up the fact that they are not comfortable with her here, but they won't listen to what we have to say. They're listening to what they believe is best and that we are overreacting. But you can't say that we're overreacting and then want to create change in the same sentence. So at so that's something that I want to see personally. And I just want to see more action-based solutions. You know, I was talking about that today earlier, and I think that's a lot of what our students want to see. Action-based solutions. Stop with the consistent, like, yes, we're here to, to have these conversations, but you can't just be, be like, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to do this. Like, this is going to happen, and then we don't see anything happen for two years. And most people haven't seen anything happen until after they've graduated. So, yeah. Thank you, Jenna. Yeah, no, action, actions speak louder than words. And I think that's what a lot of 
people want to see. Um, something that we'll, we'll read, just put in the chat, um, about, you know, diversity, inclusion, working on uh, history projects. So these are classes about Washington College's history uh, with diversity and race. And I think one's going to be on slavery, but they talked Washington College's history with slavery on campus. And I think they talked about that in the town hall last year. So, you know, education initiative is good, but are good. But, you know, here's one thing I really want to say in this is that Diversifying our student body can also be a financial asset to this college. Here's my case. Okay, four or five years ago when President Mitchell was here, um, there are uh, 150 Jewish students at this school, okay, and they were funding money towards the Hillel House for Washington College. Um, and this comes after uh, a, a Jewish alumni, he had a lot of money to donate, said, I want to give this money towards Hillel House. There are a lot of you know Jewish communities in the Mid-Atlantic that Washington College would be a fit for. So 150 Jewish students at this school. Now there's like, I don't know any definite numbers, but there's not 150. There's probably at most five at probably zero. Um, $150 is, uh, 150 students, uh, we did the math the other day, that's something like like a couple million dollars for the school in, in you know. 4.5 million. Thank you, Grace. <laughs> that number one more time. $4.5 million. $4.5 million. And the reason these initiatives ended is because uh, when Sheila Bear and Kurt Landgraf came in, they, they more stated in Kurt's part than Sheila's part that they didn't want to actively just fund, put money towards Hillel because they thought they needed to spend it elsewhere. This is, you know, just an example of the school making decisions that are hurting itself. It, it's kind of a running gag. It steps on a rake a lot of places. I mean, at least this is me speaking personally from what I've seen in working on this project. That's just my point. Diversifying the school is a financial asset, and they haven't focused on it. Literally, they're being given money to do this. And Kurt Landgraf turned down that money because he couldn't have a caveat on the clause for the donation that said he can use it for whatever he wanted. There's a lot of problems with donations with the school and the alumni project. Every year, yearly, every school does a yearly giving to the school. They call alumni and donors up and you give money. Uh, every university does this and that money is used for functioning monies, you know, paying for lights, all this just functioning budgetary stuff. I've had, fr I have friends that worked in the yearly giving phone drives. Okay, they call up alumni all day and they ask, hey, would you like to donate to Washington College? And my friend says that job is terrible. Why? Because he just calls them and then everyone just unloads on him on why they're not going to pay it because they feel disconnected from this community. So along with diversifying, also reaching out to our alumni and building a better alumni support system that will give financial support because I have a lot of family that went to WAC and they say it's terrible. They won't even buy them a drink when they come to Washington College for uh, alumni fundraiser. It's, uh, it's not an open bar, it's a cash bar. Uh, that might be a little example, but this thing goes deeper. So I have anything to comment before we move on to, you know, some steps we see that the school can take right now or just an action? I think we have, we have Annalie and Emma with hands raised. Um, can we see Emma? We haven't heard her tonight. Yeah. Emma. Hello, um, I just have like 
I guess this is kind of like a suggestion or a solution in a way. Um, so we know that the Halal House is like an off-campus house that the school owns. Um, and I know that the school has multiple other off-campus properties um, bordering, you know, Washington Avenue and um, East Campus Avenue, I think is the other one. Um, I was just wondering why the school hasn't used one of those houses as a multicultural space. Um, if that's, you know, that's what they did with the Halal House and they have multiple houses available for that use um, and they're not far from campus. It would be, you know, just like walking to Minta, um, except a few houses down. So I, that was just my kind of question solution. Um, I w Jonah, do you have something to say or you were moving your hands or something? Yeah, um, I can kind of answer that question on why there isn't like a house for multicultural affairs. I can't speak for all the multicultural affairs, but knowing from a search that I was kind of a part of, um, we tried looking at different places, um, but it's just a matter of keeping it clean, um, having proper distance, um, and a whole bunch of other logistics and statistics that I cannot understand nor explain. Um, but know that I, I personally am still trying to figure that out. So if anybody else finds out that information, um, let me know. Yeah. This is just kind of, kind of responding to that. But like, I'd say talk to people in Hillel. And that's just my suggestion to see like if they have any anything that could help you. Thank you. Thank you. That was a wonderful addition, uh, Emma. Um, and so I see Kayla has her hand up. Um, and then we said, Anna Lee, uh, Nicole, you make the decision. We'll go alphabetical, Anna Lee, and then Kayla. Okay. So my proposed solutions are really quite simple, but <clears throat> they all kind of I think the school, in terms of what's being suggested here and for future reference, should really, really focus itself on building trust between the administration and the student body. Trust, trust, trust. Because um, that is the, the crux of all of these issues. And there's been a lot of comments made about diversifying the student body, diversifying the faculty. The truth of the matter is that even if our school is out recruiting faculty members who are from um, minority populations, those faculty members don't wanna teach at our school because of its location, because of its history, and because of these issues at our school that continuously socio-historically suppress diverse voices. So people do not wanna come here. Even um, in the athletics department, there's a lot of talk about recruiting um, athletes from diverse backgrounds, but a lot of students from diverse backgrounds don't want to come here either because of this socio-historical consistency at our school of, of suppressing diverse voices. So it's in the school's best interest to facilitate trust with the student body because in doing that, our school will be the welcoming environment that we advertise, and then we will be able to diversify these different sectors of the school a lot better and then it will be a safer environment overall. So some of my very simple solutions to start with, um, in terms of, of the staff and admin, we understand the school's in a financial crisis right now. And so 
if you are looking at people to let go, it's in the school's best interest to let go people whose students are calling to be fired. Like Candace Wanamaker, it's clear students have a lot of concerns about and are have actively been calling for a, a long time for her to be let go from her position. And instead, the school is looking towards um, professors who define our Washington College experience and guide us in our four-year academic journey, help us with our theses. And I know I would be devastated if any of my professors were removed from this college because they made my experience here, not the administration. So I would advise the school looks towards people um, and not just not just Candace, but analyzes uh, people in positions that directly deal with student safety who students are uncomfortable with because our safety should be a top priority. So keeping an eye on um, people in positions of, of power over student safety, people who deal with students in vulnerable populations. Um, in addition, there sh- I think there should be more updates on personnel changes that directly affect students in terms of safety. So Title IX, um, public safety, um, people students directly deal with, if they have an issue at the school, especially a personal well-being one, uh, should be addressed. Counseling. We should know where our, our safety lies, whose hands do they lie in. That we should always be aware of. Um, another thing, I think this school should consistently look to build systems that elevate the voices of students who are ignored. Um, Students of color and students of other minority populations consistently feel repressed, their voices repressed at that school. And we could even see that on just who serves in, on the boarding governors, which students are in leadership positions allowed to work with or, or are working with boarding governors. We, we don't have diversity in those leadership making positions. So can the school build better systems that help students of minority populations be heard and their concerns lead to change that they seek. Um, and my last thing is just accountability. We know everything I, as an institution you are you're doing to make us look like a great institution to advertise our wonderful experience we have here, academic and otherwise, in order to bring in more people. However, it's also okay to admit when we're wrong and when Things happen, like things like with COVID. It's okay to send an email saying, like, listen, right now we plan on being in person this fall, but this discussion that still has to be had, and because of changes to the environment, we may end up going online. Because this fall, a bunch of people signed their leases after August 1st and ended up paying for a house that they didn't want to stay in because we ended up being online which was a big shock after the August 1st deadline. So it's okay to keep students in the loop when you're still in a decision-making process or, or when you're, you're still navigating you know, processes and I'm repeating myself, and decisions. And it's okay to do that as an institution because that keeps us from being surprised, that keeps us from being hurt and from making decisions that negatively affect our lives. At the end of the day, we know college is to some extent it's a business, but it's one that deals with human lives. And our, your experience, your administration affects our experiences and our experiences affect the future of this school. Um, 
without that, the college experience is nothing. And if that's what we come out of Washington College with, then this school doesn't have a future. And so I really urge you to continue to, in little ways, and then into macro ways, figure out how to facilitate this trust. And I think it will, in all sectors of the school, give better fulfillment to the students, to the future of the school, and to the administration. Thank you, Annalie. That was all wonderful. Kayla, I know you got the short end, but our, our, our Transparency Trap team member, Leah, had something to add on to Annalise. Can you hold for another second? So sorry. Uh, Leah? Yeah, I wanted to do two things. Um, <clears throat> give a direct and visible example of what Annalise was talking about with um, lack of diversity on campus. So an issue that was recently, ra recently raised to me personally that I was looking into in our class was a lack of disability accessibility um, on our campus. And I was thinking about why our campus is so inaccessible and why it's so hard as somebody who's chronically ill or disabled to fix that problem. And I looked at it and realized it was quite a self-fulfilling cycle. There is a lack of infrastructure, effective infrastructure, let me qualify. The infrastructure is there. It's really inconveniently placed. Um, there's a lack of effective infrastructure in this school to accommodate people with visible disabilities, you know, people with mobility issues, people with vision and hearing issues. Um, mostly mobility issues is what I'm thinking about. It's a huge issue on this campus. And the reason that isn't in place is because the campus goes, well, we don't really have that much of a disabled community. Yes, because disabled people look at this school and go, oh, I can't function here. And they don't come here. <laughs> like, yeah, and then it, it's a self-fulfilling cycle of we don't have a disabled community because they don't come here because they can't come here. Um, and a lack of drive to fix that. So it's the kind of proactive diversifying. It's not just like appealing to people, it's appealing to people after you have systems in place to accommodate them, um, which is especially important for the disabled and the chronically ill because that's not something that we can physically deal with retroactively handling. Um, and there's also the issue of the few dis disability students and chronic illness students we do have in, on campus because of the lack of infrastructure, they're all invisible disabilities. So then we have this huge culture problem of a lack of understanding and knowledge about invisible disabilities. Like if you're not a paraplegic in a wheelchair, then I don't have to consider your mobility issues. Um, and then speaking back on the, um, the issue of trust between students and administrators. Um, and also on issues mentioned earlier about uh, interim president, presidents and uh, current presidents and permanent presidents. When I saw that email um, about the search for a permanent president, the first thing that came into my head after all of the research we did into turnover and administrative turnover was, when you say you're looking for a permanent president, how permanent are we speaking? Like, how permanent are we talking about? Are we talking about permanent as in more permanent than the interim president who's here to bridge the gap? Or permanent as in until they retire? Because we haven't had a president who stayed until they retired for like more than two or three years max. For how far back did we go, Evan? Like 10 years? I think we did um, actually six years and there were or eight years and there were like four different presidents. Yeah, four different presidents in eight years. 
Um, so if we want to build trust between students and administrations or administration, we need to have an administration who stays, who's there. A president can't get anything done in the school if they're only here for two or three years, if they're not even here long enough to see a single graduating class. So like even a freshman who comes in can look at somebody else and go, well, I don't know any of the administration. I've been here for like two months, but do you guys know? And then everyone around them has to shake their heads no, because they got here, they also got here like two months ago. So a little bit of permanence in administrative turnover would be a big help towards building trust. And it's a really simple thing. It's a really simple thing. Just keep somebody on for long enough to see a graduating class. And that's all I had to say. And get rid of the bad blood. Kayla, I'm so sorry, but Grace wanted to say something. We will get to you. So sorry, Kayla. Um, you know, to, to add on to what was just spoken, um, I am also part of the chronically ill community. And um, I'm a freshman. So, you know, coming in, I this is only my third time in Chestertown. Um, the first few times were brief visits in the springtime. And, you know, having to assess if I would have to use a walker or a cane on campus was just mind-boggling because it is not handicap accessible here. We are not handicap accessible. And coming from a high school that was also not handicap accessible, it's really frustrating. And Leah's extremely right. We cannot get anything done if we do not have a president who is consistently here. How can we progress if we do not have a permanent person? And that's all I just wanted to say. Thank you, Grace. Uh, Kayla, thank you for waiting. Even though you have the patience, we appreciate that. <laughs> Not a problem. Um, no, I completely agree with everything that's been said. And ultimately, I think this all comes down to they aren't considerate of students and alumni. I have friends who graduated in spring of 2020 who, in addition to being having their online graduation put off for months, they... Many of them graduated without jobs because the job market was and frankly is still terrible. Um, so I have many friends who were hit up within a month of graduating without their graduation um, and being asked for money. And these are the things that make students and alumni not want to give back to the community. The simple fact is we feel disrespected, unheard, and that y'all, that the administration does not care about us while we are students. And then the second we graduate, we're immediately hit up for money. I don't understand how they expect us to want to give back to a community that frankly, I completely separate the faculty, the staff and uh, the faculty and the staff and the administration. And I'm purposely putting the faculty and staff together in this place because there are so many staff members who are kind and caring and make a point of actively like talking to students like Miss B who was sadly let go. It's the administration shows time and time again, such disregard for the student body. And then as soon as we graduate, they want money from us. It's, it's not right. And they can't expect us and frankly be upset even when we don't give money because we have no reason to give money that's Thank all i have to say that is something the people that my friends would be calling up for those uh annual giving drives you know he'd be calling up people 
that like he knew a familiar name from because they were like a year or two ahead or like, you know, people that graduated four, five, six years ago. And these are all people that dealt with this kind of toxic mixture of leadership that's set a precedent here for the past couple of years. And yeah, exactly. The people don't want to give it back because they don't have faith in the school's mission at this point with, you know, saying things and not falling through with things, you know. And I think all the points of how we need permanence and consistency and people that would actually, you know, listen. So it's not about just getting rid of the bad people. It's making sure we put people in there that, you know, want to harbor a community that we say is this tight knit. Um, just a fun little fact. The school's loves to say, you know, our um, small community, my door is always open. I, uh, I tried to get in contact with President Powell about attending this meeting. And uh, um, <clears throat> I called his office three times yesterday and then twice a day. So three times I got two, one straight to voicemail first call. Um, uh, the second one I just rang out and then I called again on his assistant's cell phone. Got her finally. She took a message for me, said he was busy or whatever. I called back twice a day, went to voicemail, left a message. I got a cease and desist message from the new Title IX coordinator, Greg Corcoran, today. He said, cease and desist trying to contact the president's office. Don't try to call or email it. Or <laughs> if you do, uh, the, the school will throw judicial whatever at due to the college code. So I can't contact our president. <laughs> I'm not allowed to. I have to cease and desist. Um, yeah, it's, it's in, in, right, in the chat, the, the, the transparency trap folks know, they've heard my saga of communicating with this administration. After we release a podcast about transparency and being fully transparent and opening up lines of communication, I thought we kind of ended that on an olive branch, you know, create something new, start a good conversation, be accountable. That's not that too much, but after we release something like that and for them to not even think about starting the conversation with us or even commenting on that it's just are you listening and i feel like we're all just shouting are you even listening and literally so the reason we decided to have a forum was because there was just we released this into the void and the void does not scream back <laughs> so we were like well i guess we're having a forum then absolutely so anyone else have any other things no, uh, they threaten legal or just just to uh yeah i get well school legal ramifications <laughs> i don't know they totally unjustified but i think we're all asking for is some permanence um some consistency actually listening and uh uh action and before we talk about the action steps that we kind of thought of beforehand best um so I'm wondering, how many times have the students come forward to the administration asking for these, I'm going to say simple changes, because it just takes a PR person to send an email out to keep us informed about things? PR person now. That, that is one thing they sent us back. It's like, yes, we have a PR person, but continue. So since they clearly do not care about our opinions, and they told us this just by not acknowledging that we even exist and pay money to this institution to attend it. When do we go public with this? Like when should we send this out to Kent County public news? And like, cause like at this point, 
public pressure is the only way it's going to change because it's like going to ruin the way the public sees our school, you know? And they want to have like a upholding standing with the community. Like when do we go public and be like, this is going on in our school and we have been trying for years now. When do we go public with this? Like, I thought the podcast was going public, but apparently this is the only beginning. But <laughs> I think I think it's also a little bit hard when um, when students do come together and even professors, and then there's a a type of a type of blame placed upon them. Um, this wasn't included in the podcast, but oh, sorry, my messages. But um, when interviewing Dr. Rydell, she did comment that in a faculty meeting, um, losing money was. Uh, attributed to the professors unionizing because it didn't look good for the school. Um, So I think it is difficult when you feel like you're doing a good thing by coming together and speaking out and um, then you kind of get slapped on the wrist and say, well, actually it's your fault now that we don't have money and we can't make your changes for you. Um, So I think that that mentality needs to definitely change. Yes, Beth. Um, which I think is like completely untrue because we're just like this, 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 and the other thing is like wrong. We're providing you with solutions, which is something that they should come up with on their own at this point, And they just won't do it. Like where, when do we draw the line? And it's like, when do we just like tell more people? Like, I feel like you got to go to the community with this, like actually like email the editor of Kent County News and be like, yeah, what's up? Like, this is going on and it needs to be exposed right now. And it also becomes a question of like, not even necessarily won't do it, but at this point can't do it or can't do much because they're so desperately understaffed or the turnover rate is so high that when they're not understaffed, the people they do have have been here for like five months and have barely have a clue what they're doing. Like, they're just trying to keep everything afloat right now because the staff turnover in the administration is frankly ridiculous. And the ones we are keeping are the ones nobody wants to talk to. I will asterisk on that. There are plenty of people that I want to talk to. And one of them is President Powell, and I can't. But (laughs) um, that was a joke. But there are a lot of... Here's... Okay, before we go into action steps, um, I think there are some good things that signs that things could be turning to the better in means of communication. And while we have a lot of these problems, okay, we, although they didn't come to this forum, although they won't, you know, face us personally, um, that might be a little abrasive, but although they have decided not to take the opportunity in their own passive aggressive ways, there are some things that I think might be getting through, um, with the dashboard, the CPG thing, the contingency planning page, like, I looked at that today, and honestly, it's not a bad setup for news and responses and things. It was a conglomerate about a bunch of different things, weeks going back. If we can set precedence for campus news in a portal like that, or just start facilitating stuff like that more, rather than having a blurry of letters in your emails that just don't get through, you know, maybe tier things of important communications, putting them on a page. This is me kind of riffing just there, but you know, this, the contingency planning page gave me some hope that there are means to communicate better that the school can take advantage of without costing them much. Uh, here's my list of good things that I've been doing. Um, the email Wednesday night was, uh, 
I hope. I think Leah, oh, I think Leah might have had a comment real quick. Sorry. Um, also, the new website that they just sort of revamped this past summer. I was a little bit part of um, helping pull that together for one of the side pages. Um, and like Rydell mentioned in the podcast, they've been begging for that for months. So even though the timing of the website coming up was a little bit inconvenient with it happening all at the same time as COVID and the transition was rough because COVID, um, like the institution of that website is, has been a much anticipated change. Yeah, absolutely. It's an improving infrastructure in a bunch of different and supporting functioning and in infrastructure is important to getting us on the same page along with them actually listening. Um, and um, also, I don't know how gleaming it is. I haven't been around campus, but just as one thing that I was just like, okay, this is solid. When I went and got tested at the school, I'm back home now because I'm just working on my thesis stuff. I had to go in and get tested for off campus before I started my quarantine. And it was efficient in, you know, that there's one thing the students that, you know, I talked to that got sick and were sent to Kent dorm this fall because they got COVID, um, which the school didn't tell the town about. But they said that, you know, the, the care there was like, you know, something we look for in a small school, you know, really concerted effort to make sure people are comfortable. And these are the best aspects of this community in a school like this. And we can see those in the micro a lot of places, but if we can expand this care for the student um, and the community to a bunch of different places, I think that's where we want to work towards too. So there's inklings of little things. This has not gone to shit, but right now is a low point and you know, you either hit rock bottom or you keep rolling down the hill. I hope this is a bottoming out where we can take a turn for the better. And so with that, any more comments before, you know, we kind of walk through some of the things, action steps that the transparency trap came, team came up with? Any comments, anything so far? Anything? No? I'm so, we're, we're so appreciative that you guys came and we're, we're really appreciative of just the energy that you guys brought in and the willingness to talk and make this a productive conversation. So three things in three different areas. So people were talking about it, uh, you know, the BSU safe space. These are baseline things that we want to promise at the town hall last year. And, you know, it might be too late, but if you get these things done, we can know that there are steps being taken forward. A proper BSU safe space. And, you know, we were talking about something that Emma mentioned with like the off-campus houses like that that would be, you know, optimal. I know they just got all of the ground that is at the in-town Mason-Dixon property. They're vacating that property for their big thing out of town, and Washington College was donated that ground. It's pretty far away from campus, but they have assets. They can either use that or something or get a house. They, at the least, can do this, you know, get a proper space, not a goddamn basement, okay? Um... And with that, like, I know we've talked about, you know, uh, even Sarah Fireham sent out, you know, the things about the cameras and those additions. But, okay, even before that, the whack alerts, you know, these are things that have been promised and not followed through. The whack alerts for bias reports, you know, any, you know, assaults or anything. But especially for racial bias alerts, those need to be a thing because they can send out whack alerts about every other things in COVID. Well, do that as well. So 
that's kind of on, you know, the older BSU demands. And I know this is everything, but these are things we can do right now. Um, Title nine, you know, make the personnel changes properly so people feel supported. And it's been said a lot to specific people in this, but I'm just leaving it at make the proper personnel changes so people can feel supported. And so this small community does not become suffocatingly small for people that have undergone terrible things or are going through really hard crises. So, and get the goddamn blue lights fixed. Like, get the blue lights fixed. So, blue lights, personnel changes, BSU safe space, and the whack alerts, and then um, a talking line with the Chestertown community. So this can touch on the safety aspects of things. You know, they didn't know that there were 15 people that got sick from COVID because the mayor of Chestertown had to go around to the Kent Department of Health to figure out anything about it, okay? So, you know, a more solid line, a meeting line, a group that will communicate clearly because you can throw a rock at the mayor of Chestertown's house into that neighborhood from Cromwell, okay? Okay, there shouldn't be this much discommunication. And this will help everything from, you know, uh, problems with, uh, you know, because we know a lot of the problems on Wash Ave come from people outside the community. With stomping that out in the local community, also addressing that, but also just building the relationship with the town even more because we talked about it in the podcast. It's a them versus us thing. It's the college and the townies type of deal. And that's not what you want. Um, and then... Yeah. Yeah, go. Go, Nicole. Sorry, I was just going to say, I know we have an 830 cap, so if we want to wrap things up, um, I just wanted to say that I hope this is productive, and I have some hope. I mean, we have Grace on our team, who's um, freshman class president, Um, so I know the three of us are all seniors, and we're kind of watching, um, watching this kind of happen, getting ready to leave, but um, I'm personally hopeful for the freshmen. And that, you know, hopefully our podcast reached people and that people kind of take up the torch and continue to light a fire under the administration a little bit. Because we didn't want to do like, you know, like a witch hunt or, you know, we're not trying to, you know, burn the administration and completely, you know, wreck what they've built. But we just are asking for change. And I think that um, this has been really constructive. So with that, um, do we want to close? Evan? Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you guys so much for coming. Thank you for staying here and listening. You know, for everyone that stayed and for anyone that came, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for participating in this conversation. Thank you for listening to the podcast. This is not the end of this. Go tell your friends. Talk about what happened. We'll try to chop up a recap from this. And uh, yeah, go forth and spread light and let's make some changes. Yeah, and have a great weekend, everyone. Yeah, have a great weekend. Class is Monday. Woot, woot. Yeah. Um, (laughs) All right. Um, I guess this this is over, but thank you for coming. Just to clarify, when I said it's over, I was talking about the student forum. The conversations that happened during this, the issues that need to be addressed that were highlighted in this, that is far from over. So, it is the Transparency Trap team's hope that everyone that listened to our podcast and tonight's student discussion understands that there needs to be change and that the administration needs to have some candor when dealing with its student bodies. 
We've offered action steps. The students have said what they think. Now it's time to see if the administration is really listening. The ball's in your court. Now do something we can all agree on. The student discussion was put on by Leah Duff, Grace Apostle, Nicole Hatfield, and myself. Editing, mixing, and sound design was done for this student forum recap by myself, Evan Gaines. And for now, this is the Transparency Trap Team, signing off. <laughs>